Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show helps you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Also, I've been doing this ongoing project where I bring some pep into your step through my Instagram profile. So you can check that out at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. Okay few quick announcements. Uh, Okay, I'm going to be leaving to Sweden very shortly. I'm going to be there this week, uh, the last week, first week of January, February 2018. Um, We're doing a Color Me Blank exhibit with my man Andrew Nyer at Magic City in Stockholm. Come check it out if you're there. I'm super pumped to go to Sweden for the first time. Uh, Also, if you want to stay up to date with where I'm traveling and speaking, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy J Pizza or Instagram at Andy J Pizza. Uh, I'm going to be going to uh, Sweden, New York City, Utah, uh, Memphis, Indianapolis, uh, and and, uh, West Virginia over the next couple months. So, you can follow along there if that's something that you want to do. Also, uh, if you're not following me on, following me on Instagram and you're a massive uh, 
fan of Creative Pep Talk, you should go on Instagram and follow me at Andy J Pizza because I'm doing this ongoing. It's nearly daily. It might become an actual daily project because I'm having such a good time with it where um, I'm just giving you basically my little my little thought of the day around creative career, a little boost, a little muse for your um, creative work to just give you that boost in the morning. Um, like I said, it's not every day, but uh, I've been getting really into it and I love you know all this feedback that says this hits you right at the right time when you needed it. I love that cosmic jazz. Um, so go check that out. Also, last thing that we're gonna get in this episode, I got a bunch of new enamel pens. Speaking of jazz, we have a 100% jazzed pen, um, which was inspired by an episode a few weeks ago. And we also have the the creative pep talk icon, the pencil sword, um, that's on the front of this podcast art. And it's kind of my, uh, it's just kind of the, the symbol when I think about uh, this podcast. We've got some other stuff. Go check it out, creativepeptalk.com slash shop. All right. Here it is. Well, that'll be the same effect here, even. Breaking, coming up, so, turning over. This show and many episodes on the podcast come from a deep passion and empathy for creative people wanting to see creative people thrive. There's this thing in me that can't hardly enjoy. Uh, any creative career success that I come into if if I'm watching other people struggle uh, there I don't know why I don't know why that is but I just <clears throat> I have this deep compassion for creative people and I want to see them thriving and in my personal life I have seen the impact whether it was um, uh, my parent or uh, a f- close friend several close friends of mine uh, I've watched what it looks like for a creative person to miss their calling and the havoc that it wreaks around everybody. Uh, you know, this idea that you are a seed that is going to be planted and depending on what type of seed you become, you, you blossom into this life-giving, fruitful thing or you blossom into this weed that kills things around you. And so I have this deep, crazy uh, passion for seeing creative people reach their potential. Uh, and, and that's just what I'm all about. And a lot of the episodes are deeply rooted in my own struggles or things I see people struggling with. Uh, and this is one of those episodes because I feel like I've been this person and I see people, especially early on in their careers, uh, in this place. And the only way I think I can describe it is they're like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Now, before we go, before you just either turned up the volume, let me just alienate every person in the audience because for those of you who hate, no, for those of you that love Lord of the Rings, you should know. I am, I enjoyed the films the first time I watched them, and that's as far as my Lord of the Rings passion and interest goes. It didn't grip me uh, in the same way that other heroes' journeys have, 
and you and I'm sure all your judgment is flinging upon me. Just know, maybe there was a path. I feel like there was a path for me where I could have been a total Dungeons and Dragons. Like I, I know some friends that are playing uh, in my area, Dungeons and Dragons, and I've, I, if I didn't have kids, I would be checking that out right now. And when my kids get older, I might. I might get into that. You know, I saw, uh, uh, <laughs> I saw them playing it on Freaks and Geeks and then Stranger Things. And I just felt like, man, I bet I would have loved that. If I had given myself full license to geek out in high school, I feel like I, that could have been me, man. And I probably would have been happier. Anyway, that's, <laughs> that's my uh, qualifier to say, you know, I don't really know much about Lord of the Rings. And to the people that hate Lord of the Rings, um, you know, don't turn it off now. This episode is only minorly about it. But basically, I've seen in my own life and I've seen in the lives of other creative people, creativity and art being the being like the ring, being like this thing that we get obsessed with and it gets gross and we get super precious about our art to the point that we lose our minds a little bit because we get so romantic about the cosmic path, about what's good art, what's bad art, and we create all these qualifiers about uh, what's okay to do in your career, what's not okay, what's what's high art, what's low art, what uh, what's our path, what's our voice, what's our style, and we get so crazy precious about it that we're willing to die on all these little tiny hills before we ever let the spark take hold. And I see this kind of mentality and attitude in young creative people that have really not explored enough, made enough mistakes, you know, learned enough. And it's almost this ego narcissism that says, this is my art, this is who I am, and if people don't get it, then it's their problem, or people will sometime come around only to find out that that momentum and steam of just completely uh, stagnating will cause you to give up before you ever get started. And sometimes I think that uh, people that maybe don't know about this show, that think it's about some kind of empty positivity, think that the host is Dory the fish. And they think I'm on this show just saying, just keep swimming, just keep drawing, just keep making stuff and everything will be okay. And you're kind of a mixture of Dory the fish and Lloyd Christmas, who (laughs) from Dumb and Dumber, where Harry's telling him something and Lloyd's just plugging his ears saying, blah, 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 like and the whole world and your bill collectors and all this noise is coming at you like, hey, the stuff that you're doing isn't working and you think Andy J Pizza's here to say just plug your ears, close your eyes, it'll all be okay. Just keep drawing the same stuff you've been drawing the past 5-10 years. Absolutely not. Could not be further from the truth. And I would say uh if we're going to lean one way or the other, I would lean further towards uh this idea called uh, man, I can barely say it partially, partially because it, I think it's just a terrible term. It just doesn't sound, I don't think it really is accurate. Partially because I have the Gollum syndrome myself um, and, and I just find 
things to be gross. And maybe it is gross. I don't know. There's a, there, the term isn't great. It's called growth hacking. I don't like the word hacking, okay? Uh, because I'm a good artist. And, uh, the, but, but if we're going to lean one or the other, I lean towards uh, this terminology. I don't know if, I don't think it was coined by Ryan Holiday, but he did a book and I, I finished it pretty recently and it was really, really short, really, really chocked full of uh, tactics and strategies that I think are helpful and would help balance this tightrope walk of art and business for you. If you want to go check it out, it's called Growth Hacker Marketing. And uh, if we're going to lean one way or the other, if we're going to be Dory the Fish or we're going to be Ryan Holiday, I'd rather be Ryan Holiday with the Growth Hacker Marketing. And, uh, and, the, and the idea, one of the big ideas in this book that I'm so crazy about is this idea of product market fit. And it's something that gave a name to the process and the attitude that I've had about my creativity over the past 10 years. And it's one of the things that I think has served me more than any of the other attitudes and, and practices and strategies that I've had. And yet, I feel like so few creative people use this process. This process of not just being enamored with your ring, with your creative gift, but being enamored with what's its purpose in the world and ebbing and flowing and pivoting and trying new things and starting from scratch and gathering in, uh, data and getting closer and closer to that sweet spot. And so today's episode, we're going to talk about a little bit about how, how to uh, develop that mindset and those practices so that you don't die on the hill with your precious, precious uh, idea of what your creative career was supposed to look like. And, uh, you know, there's this, there's this article on the Washington Post. It's the seven greatest pivots in tech history. And uh, I, this illustrates exactly what we're talking about, not getting precious about your starting point and, and constantly be ebbing and flowing and pivoting your way to that product market fit for that place where what you can do is needed in the world. And uh, just a few of these, it says that YouTube started as a video dating site. It says that Twitter was a podcasting network called Odeo. Instagram was a confusing mobile app called Bourbon that nobody used. And with Instagram, <clears throat> Ryan Holiday talks about it in his book that product market fit for Instagram looked like creating this product called Bourbon, realizing that by the usage of the app, what people actually wanted from what they were doing, nobody was using the app for all of its purposes, all they were doing was using it for its ability to filter your photos. Uh, and that's why they pivoted to what Instagram became. And if, you, and if you even look at Instagram now, there's massive pivots because it used to be back in the day that if you go back on my Instagram or you go back on any Instagram that's existed since 2009, uh, or, or no, let's say, I don't know, maybe it was like 2011 when, we, when I got Instagram, you go back and uh, you go back far enough and everybody's photos looks like they were Polaroids for some reason. This weird skeuomorphism thing that we were doing, we were all excited about 
these borders and filters and Instagram's not like that anymore because it's pivoted and changed and they've changed their approach uh, because of that. And this is why I think that I would rather be a Frank Ocean than a Craig David. Now, (laughs) in retrospect, I think everybody would pick Frank Ocean over Craig David. If you're not familiar with these people, uh, (laughs) Frank Ocean is an R&B singer who is just phenomenal and kind of come through the underground. He was part of Odd Future with Tyler, the creator. Uh, and Craig David was, if, I don't know if you, if you didn't have your ear to the ground in the R&B scene, I don't know how, I, I think he was pretty famous, but he had these songs that were kind of like, there was like an acoustic element. It was uh, British R&B and it had just a really different flavor, blew up massively at the time. And I think so many creative people, our model in our minds of how to approach finding that sweet spot is like we're all trying to be Craig Davids when I think we should try to be Frank Ocean. I think all of us want to take the path of the creative genius. You know, when you think of creative genius, you think of Craig David, right? Um, but I just mean, like all of us want to be this person that, uh, that is an overnight success is a person, an illustrator that steps out into the field and their first gig is for the New York times and it's all celebrated and amazing. And we're just happy. We happen to be so talented and we're, we're the, you know, Steve jobs of the art world where we're like. We tell them what they want. All of us, like everybody early on would love to take that path. And I feel like the first couple years of my career, that's what I was trying to do. That's what I was trying to emulate. And I think it's the only path that's really celebrated in the creative world for some reason, this kind of lottery winning uh, creativity. And I think but what more often than not, what happens is you get a Craig David situation where you just happen to hit the zeitgeist. You're in the right time, right place, and your first album has this massive effect. But then what happens is it's such an extreme thing and you get so much attention at this early formative stage that what's, what ends up happening is uh, some comedian creates a persona to mock you. And it, there, So you probably didn't know, in England, there was a show where this guy dresses up like Craig David and essentially ruins Craig David's career. He creates a, a full-on TV show as a character that's basically Craig David. And I, I don't think really Craig David, Craig David, Craig David. I've said Craig David so many times. I don't think he ever recovers. Okay? And now I just read a new review of his latest album and it's them talking about Craig David trying to play catch-up. Catch-up. I don't know why that made me think, you know, ketchup and mustard. Trying to play ketchup. I just had a weird picture of Craig David playing with Heinz ketchup. (laughs) So I can't move on. But trying to play ketchup with all these young dogs who actually learned from him. Justin Bieber and Drake, like they owe a lot to the things that Craig David uh, did. And, uh, and, And that's part of what I think happens if you happen to get lucky on the lottery winning path. But Frank Ocean 
to me is a much better path. So I'm guessing a portion of you guys are crazy about Frank Ocean and a portion of you guys don't know who he is. And I think, man, what an amazing place for this person to be in, you know, in his 20s or early 30s. Like that's exactly where I want to be. Just the slow growth, getting more and more legit, finding your voice over time, slowly but surely finding your place in the market. And if you do love Frank Ocean, you might not know that he started off as a ghostwriter for people like Justin Bieber, Beyonce, uh, John Legend, and working with Nas and Pharrell. Ever heard of him? Right? This was what he did before he ever had his own albums. And I feel like that anonymity uh, in those in that kind of slow growth path is why he became who he became. And I think I'm always looking for uh, the creative pep talk paths, the people that exemplify the things that I'm talking about on the podcast. And I think Frank Ocean's a good one. And I also think Jack Antonoff is a perfect example. If you don't know, Jack Antonoff is the guy behind the band Bleachers. And I know that he's had a pretty explosive 2017. I'm a big fan of that album. Uh, It's a really fun, poppy uh, rock album. But again, if you're just a super big Bleachers fan, you might not know that the dude co-wrote Brave by Sarah Barrielialilis. I don't know how to say her name, but it's this massive anthem. And it was written, seems like mostly by Jack Antonoff. He also happened to write some of the big hits for Taylor Swift, Lord. The list actually goes on and on. And before Bleachers, he he was a co-writer of We Are Young and part of the band Fun. Before he was in Fun, he was in a band called Steel Train. This guy has been making stuff, working his way through the path for 10 or 15 years. Slowly but surely finding that product market fit, that place in the market where with what he has and, de- and, and develops what he has to a place that's actually interesting in, in demand. And I think that in, in this episode, I just want to encourage you. What I want to tell you today is that there are times when you need to put on the ring but I want you to be a Frodo and not a Gollum. I want you to be uh, someone who knows when to fall in love with creativity, when to be all in on the romance and the glory and the beauty and to put on that ring and go invisible and get lost in your creativity, but don't get so lost in it that you lose yourself to it. You know, I was just recently talking to a publisher where uh, they were saying how we were talking about some of my ideas for my next books. And I was saying that and I was being very kind of clinical, even though it's very difficult for me to it's been a long process of learning lessons on how to be like this about my creativity to get enough distance to try to have perspective. And I said, I have this kind of pet project, this romantic project that I'm, 
completely obsessed with. And I'm going to figure out a way to put it out there one way or another. I'm not going to just like let it die. I'm, I am too much of a golem for, for that. I can't completely let it go. But I have this, I think it's beautiful. I think it's, it's got an intuitive thing. I believe in it. Um, but I'm not sure it's the right one for my next book. I have this other idea that I'm just as excited about in a billion other ways. And I actually think it has more product market fit. Uh, for a billion different reasons. Uh, and, and I think of it like Ryan Holiday talking about in his book that there's kind of two models for how we think about authors. We have an old model, and this is the model of the golem. This idea of the writer that goes away in the cabin has this intuitive idea that's just like, oh, the world needs this. It's Steve Jobs, you know, with the with the iPod or whatever it is. You know, Steve Jobs is famous for being like, we don't take advice from the public. We tell them what they want. Like, they don't know what they need. And I'm not saying, there's a place for your intuition. I told you, there's times to put on the ring. But we have this idea of this author who goes and holds himself up in a cabin and writes the great American novel or the amazing business book or whatever from start to finish, brings it back to the publisher and it, you know, and then he, he so, he believes in it like crazy and like 35 publishers turn him down, but he just knows it's the one and he, he sells it over and over and it happens to get sold and it sold 16 billion copies. Like, you know, Every person in the world buys it more than, more than once. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that we hear that story uh, from th- this tiny, minute fraction of the people working in creativity. And it becomes the, and it, you know, it's this, it is literally lottery winners among people collecting paychecks. And it becomes the primary narrative and it makes it, it gives you the advice to just keep drawing, just keep singing, just keep swimming. And it'll be okay. Plug your ears like Lloyd Christmas and just keep doing your thing, man. Just keep your head down. Don't listen to anybody's feedback. And you lose yourself completely in your creativity. And then Ryan Holiday presents this other model that has been extremely effective from case to case to case, not isolated little anecdotal romantic stories. And he talks about the author that will uh, do A-B testing. We'll try this title online versus this title. We'll start the book off from a, you know, a blog writer who writes a hundred blogs a year and, and goes with the one or two that have real momentum and starts developing them into an ebook and then gets feedback on those things and then slowly de- 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 evolves that into a product and then develops it into a pitch and then works with the publisher. And not only do you have all this uh, experience and this development and this pivoting to make your product better and better and get closer and closer to product market fit. But also you have all of this data uh, to back up your product when you go to your publisher. Because one of the things I've seen about uh, the the creative world, whether that's, um, you know, the industries, whether it's the record labels or it's the publishers, there's only really two things that it seems like they're willing to take a risk on. And it's one, and they're both basically eliminating risk because uh, 
you know, there's for a while, for a billion different reasons, they're a business that they, they, that's what they're there to do is eliminate losing money and maximize making money. And so they say, I, I feel like they'll either a do something that is, uh, basically repeating what's already successful in the moment. So writing a trend in a really, really obvious way, or the second thing I think they're willing to do is take a risk on something that's already proved itself online. And uh, if you have slowly but surely pivoted your way to something that has product market fit, that has data behind it, that you can say, look at the, the numbers, even if they're not massive, but just look at the way people are responding to this thing, you will have a, such an easier time selling it to them. And uh, next up, I just want to give you a few tips on how to approach doing this and how to uh, get these core values in you so that you don't become a creative golem. All right, I just got three things. The first one is never arrive, never plan on arriving. There, uh, there are meaning never, never think that there's going to come a time in your journey where you have captured the elixir, brought it home, and now you're just going to kill the fattened calf so to speak. I don't even really know what that means exactly. I mean, I know what it means. It just doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, but, but you get it like, and, and sit on your creative throne and you've done it. I think that mentality, that that's what you do when you're ready to die, in my opinion. Uh, like that's when the party's over, which means you, no matter where you are, good, bad, indifferent, whether you're just at the beginning, whether you're at the, at, you know, whether you're, you know, 25 years in, I think that idea of feeling like you've arrived or you have somehow attained, like there's never a time where I think you should believe that you have cracked your artistic voice because as long as you're having experiences and on this planet and you're changing, evolving and your voice should be growing too. And so uh, I think the first thing you've got to do is completely get this idea out of your mind that you're one day going to find your style or your voice or or you're going to have this moment like no matter if you have the biggest explosive moment in your world that you could ever imagine having I'll tell you what's going to happen after that it's not going to be satisfaction it's not because you're supposed to be satisfied in the process once you get that reward now if you're going to just uh, chase your identity being finished in this way. After you prove yourself in this giant way, you're just going to want to prove yourself again and better. And if you can't, you're going to be miserable. But if you are dedicated to the process and you are, you're never planning on arriving, uh, I believe that you will get, you will, uh, if, if you, if you find your joy in the process and you give yourself over to that, you will be on the road to perpetual change. You know, just to clarify just a second, I want to camp out here and just make sure I'm being ultra clear what I mean by product market fit and the opposite. I mean, uh, looking for a creative place, a spot in the world where you 
where what you have is really in demand by always and forever changing and tweaking what you're doing. And that could be dramatically like in, in college, there was a little part of me that thought maybe my purpose was to be a rapper. <laughs> that sounds ridiculous, but I remember actually, I was making this weird art rap stuff and I remember telling my brother all of the reasons why. Like I had put on the ring about art rap uh, and that being my destiny. And I think putting on the ring is really essential. At times, you really do have to go all in and you have to focus and you have to be like, you know what? This thing could be it and go deep into it and convince yourself enough that it could be it, that you'll actually put in the time and energy to see if it will be it. But by the time you get enough data that says, Andy, you're never gonna make it as a rapper because you suck. And it's not, you don't know how to play music. You don't know anything about music. Like this is not the right path for you. To get, you have to be able to take off the ring in that moment and try something different. And the things that I've tried, I've tried character design, I've tried logo design, I've been a graphic designer, I've been an editorial illustrator, I've been a book uh, cover designer, or I tried to be, I tried to be, uh, I, I, the list goes on and on. But I've been a, become a podcaster, speaker, and illustrator. And uh, all of that comes from time with the ring on, time with the ring off, slowly but surely pivoting to find the market fit. And uh, my friend Andrew Nyer said there was a teacher he had in college. He went to Micah that said, the attitude you should have about your creative growth is that every six months, you should basically want to burn your portfolio. And uh, that might be me speaking in hyperbole and jazzing it up a bit. I'm sure it was more subtle than that, but basically that's the idea, that every six months, you should look back and be like, what was I thinking? Oh my gosh. Mainly because you've grown and you've pushed and you've tweaked and you've changed, but also because you've updated your model and you've never stayed so precious about what you were doing and who you are uh, that you didn't, you, you disabled your power to grow. Number two, kill the format. So uh, probably a lot of you don't know that uh, in dudes, let me just, just hold on there. I'm working with the understanding that we're both being somewhat detached and objective about the creative people that we're, we're talking about. Like, like creativity and taste, there's a large percentage of this that is subjective. So when I reference a person on the podcast, I'm assuming that we're both agreeing that I'm not necessarily saying this is my favorite band or this is, this is what I love, but I'm just saying uh, mainly from a business point of view that there's something to learn. And so the band Fun, right? You've heard of them. I'm not a giant fan of them, but, but uh, they have had tremendous success um, the songs We Are Young and some other jazz, a bunch of other songs actually. Um, but before they ever hit it, that lead singer was part of a band called The Format that my teacher in college back in 06 or something, 07, uh, was a crazy fan of. And he loved The Format. And at some point, I think his name was Nathaniel. I don't know. Something you probably guys probably know. But the lead singer of Fun, who was the lead singer of the format, decided to kill the format and start a new band to find that product market fit. And uh, 
and, and team up with Jack Antonoff and create the brand fun. And guess what? That story is completely irrelevant, but it sounded perfect with the title that I came up with of <laughs> Kill the Format because he did kill the format and it's relevant. We already were talking about Jack Antonoff. It was all in there, but that's just going to make it really confusing, but I couldn't help myself. What I actually mean by killing the format is don't, I've talked about this on podcast before, but I want to go deeper on it right now. Don't get romantic about the format. Don't get romantic about whether it's a CD or a vinyl or a cassette. Don't get romantic about whether it's on YouTube, Netflix, or ABC or Nickelodeon. Don't get romantic about any element that is not truly about your gift and what your audience wants. And even then, don't get romantic about it because it's going to change and adapt over time. Uh, and, and so, you know, I think that it's incredibly important to remember that within the world of creativity, context is king. If you put a urinal in the MoMA today, it is not going to be breakthrough revolutionary in the same way that Duchamp, I believe it was with my terrible, abysmal art history I know nothing about. But what I've come to know about art is that when I go into a gallery, uh, especially, I don't know about today, man, I, I'm not, I don't know what to say about contemporary art these days, but when I go and I look at um, kind of the uh, pivotal breakthrough moments in, in creative history over the past 200 years, let's say, and you might see something that was breakthrough 80 years ago, and you're like, what the heck is that? That makes no, like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. But what you're not understanding is the context in which it was made. And the context said something based on what was happening at the time. And if you get romantic and you're only doing what was uh, worthy uh, 10 years ago or, or celebrated 20 years ago when you were a kid, you're going to miss your ability to comment on what's happening. And I think the only thing that you should care about is your message, what you make, your gift, the outpouring of who you are and getting it and it being received to the people that you want to communicate and touch and connect with. And it doesn't matter. Literally, I want to make my best work. I want to make my best work to go on this podcast, to go on Instagram. Those are the places where I want my art to live above books, above uh, prints, above anything. Because that's where people are. And that's where I make connections with my stuff to them. And if I'm doing that right, everything else will fall into place. And so what ways do you need to kill your precious art babies, right? You got to do it. Number three, last one, keep your ear to the ground. You got to stay abreast to the ongoings of what's happening in your world. You're going to find a lot of these romantic artists saying, I don't look at anybody's work. I don't even know what art is. I only know what my art is. And I think, uh, that creates a bubble of ignorance. That means that you're going to be more likely to be Bon Jovi than you are to be Beyonce. And I think we all know who we'd like to be 
uh, in that comparison creatively. I think if you're uh, Bon Jovi and you refuse to ebb and flow and keep your ear to the ground and and <laughs> mold with the times and 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 keep it fresh, then what you're going to be at best is someone who has a giant moment at one time. And then maybe somehow the culture comes back to you and you have a It's My Life Bon Jovi moment in the early 2000s. But that's all you're going to have. And I think Beyonce to me is such a phenomenal example of somebody who has such a clear voice but doesn't get romantic about the veneer. The, uh, you know, the, the layer on top is always saying, hey, like, here's the thing. You should love your art and love your message enough to know when old language and old uh, trappings of, of past trends and movements are bogging it down. One of the things that drives me insane about, you know, spiritual teachers, philosophical teachers, uh, speakers of, of all these different walks of life. Like one of the things that drives me nuts is when they've gotten so, uh, they're so hardcore about their truth, but they don't realize that they're using dead words. They're using words that have been overused, you know, uh, buzzwords from yesteryear. That means they're falling on deaf ears. Nobody can hear it afresh. And you owe it to your art to constantly be updating the lacquer on the outside, working with producers that are doing new things, knowing what's going on in the industry. You don't even have to know what's going on. You don't have to, uh, you don't, you do have to know what's going on in my opinion. If you're going to consistently stay on that tightrope over the long haul between art and business, but but you don't have to do what they're doing. But I still would choose not to be ignorant about what's going on because you can look at everything that's going on and zag when they're zigging. But it still comes from a place of knowing. If you don't know, if you're ignorant completely with what's happening, I think it's most likely going to end up in a place where you become irrelevant for long seasons of your career. So what I would suggest you do if it's been a while is I do this all the time. If I feel myself getting stale with illustration, if I feel like my love is waning, I will go on a giant mission that's a pure metal detector situation that's just saying, what's lighting me up? I just want to go get excited about some old artist that I've never seen or some weird folk art that I never knew existed or new stuff that's happening and just go follow. I just followed like 250 illustrators on Instagram that I'd never heard of that I was like, Dude, this stuff is insane, and I've never seen this stuff. And and I feel like if you are uh, if you are drawing influence from five hundred people, there's not going to be any dicey territory where you're ending up in this place of following a trend too hard. What I think is really dicey is if you remain ignorant, not know about hardly anybody, maybe only know about two or three people, and then your then your influence is too. Uh, too specific. And Austin Kleon talks a lot about this. Um, and his, he's like a flow chart about, uh, not just having one hero, but a family tree where you take your hero and you learn her, who their heroes were and their influences and really diversifying your influences. And I'm a big believer in this. Uh, so 
Don't my what I'm trying to say is don't be Bon Jovi, be Beyonce. So let's wrap it up, my friends. Uh, I'm so passionate about this episode. This idea is so close to my heart and nothing kind of breaks my heart like a uh, creative golem. This person that just keeps doing the same thing for 10 years and it's like, it's admirable that they've had the grit to hold on that long, but it's sad that they haven't changed and shifted and tried new things and focused it for seasons, but then changed when the time was right and, and moved on and acted with their intuition when things felt like, you know, maybe it's time to take up a new skill. Maybe it's time to try out, uh, you know, uh, something new. And it just like, it drives me nuts. I, I usually, when I play on these podcasts, I'm searching my soul for like those emotional moments of like uh, just things that really move me. And this is this has been on my heart recently of what do you say to somebody who has put in the time and energy, but they're really not getting anywhere. And this is what I would say to them. And I look back, the other place this, this, uh, these episodes come from is when I'm looking back throughout my career, whether that's a year ago, two years ago, or 10 years ago, and I think what are the strategies and, and uh, thought processes that I'm super glad that I adhered to, and this is one of them. This idea of ebbing and flowing and pivoting and finding product market fit. I look back at Andy at age 21, 22, and I see this person that if he would have done the Dory approach and just kept doing the same thing over and over and over, you know, I've seen people do that and I actually think I could have had big It's My Life Bon Jovi moments uh, doing that stuff you know, two or three times over the past 10 years where the market shifted back to the stuff that I was doing then uh, and, you know, have these big moments and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm so, so, so happy that I didn't just keep doing the same thing. And the reason is I'm doing so, I'm doing such dramatically different stuff than I was when I was 20. And it's so much closer to what is really in my heart and it's so much deeper of a connection with my audience because I've been carving away day after day, year after year to find that place where they meet. And I think ultimately, and, and, I, and I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be this satisfied and I wouldn't be this excited and I wouldn't have these relationships and this connection with my audience and my work that I have today if I just kept doing the same thing over and over. And I think ultimately, ultimately I think this whole episode is about one thing and it's about people. It's about not getting lost in yourself. It's about not getting lost in your own ego and your art. It's about having your Samwise Gamgee. Is that what his name is? <laughs> as soon as I said it, I thought, I don't know Lord of the Rings enough to be using all this tech terminology. Uh, but 
It's about having people in your life and it's about your art not just being for your own pleasure, but being for your community. And I think if you can get outside of yourself, if you can put people around you, if, if what you're doing is not just for you, you're less likely to get into a place where you go into the dark world of the creative golem. Just a real quick extra thing I want to say is that I want you to keep swimming. I just don't want you to keep swimming in the same direction, plugging your ears with no help from the sharks, with no help from the pelican, with no help from the scar-faced Willem Dafoe sunfish guy. I don't know, maybe he's not a sunfish. I don't know, the guy in the tank. Uh, like, yeah, keep going. Like, I, man, the, so much of this podcast is, is for uh, Andy uh, six, seven years ago who has this thing in him that says... Uh, this feels right. This is what I'm supposed to do. I, there's a reason why I'm doing this. There's uh, awesome stuff in my future if I will keep uh, ebbing and flowing and zigging and zagging and pivoting and trying new things and kind of working like a creative mad scientist to find where I'm supposed to be. And back in the day, the only thing really fueling that fire was this intuitive uh feeling that it was right, that I needed to do it, that this little whisper that was telling me that there's a reason why you're doing this. And the reason isn't the artist's purpose. I feel like when it gets demented and distorted and precious is when we think that we're being the artist so that we'll be worshiped, so we'll be hailed as king. So we'll be, so all the attention will be uh, from the tribe will be on us. But that's not the artist's purpose. The artist's purpose is for the community. The reason you find yourself, the reason you express yourself is so that other people can find themselves. So you can remind humanity who we are. So you can make life worth living for other people. And, uh, you know, I was just listening to this episode of You Made It Weird with... Uh, uh, Phil Rosenthal, who was like one of the head writers, uh, he was the head writer on Everybody Loves Raymond, and he said the secret of that show was in episode one, and they wrote the Fruit of the Month Club, where they where Ray buys the Fruit of the Month Club for his parents, where they get a basket of fruit sent to their door every every month, and the parents are like, why did you do this to us? We can't eat all this fruit, and they see it as this giant curse, and it's just about how parents ruin every gift you give them. Like you cannot give a good gift to your parents, but it was this really specific thing from Phil Rosenthal's life. And uh, he expressed this thing that was him. He expressed this authentic uh, thing from his life. But it wasn't so that we can just laugh at Raymond and, and celebrate and love Raymond. It's so that we can love ourselves. It's about our story, not his. And it's in that specificity. And it's in that artist's job is to walk the path of self-discovery and, and, and philosophy and, and dig into what it means to be here and to be human 
and and to mine those things for the culture, for the culture, not for the artist. And I feel like when we get so romantic and wrapped up in our own personal uh, taste and, and interests and pursuits, we go on these long journeys alone and uh, we become kind of distorted and precious and it sours and stagnates. And so I just encourage you to remember because, uh, you know, there were lots of times early on in my career when, you know, I was on that path to just wanting to be celebrated for uh, celebration sake without actually doing anything worth celebrating from other people, without actually doing anything for other people. And I'm so grateful that I continually dug until I found stuff that meant stuff to other people that now the relationship that I have with my audience between my illustration, I'm always surprised when I go do talks and stuff, how many people talk to me about, you know, they don't really listen to the podcast, but they're they're super into the illustration and how we have the same interests. And we talk about Fraggle Rock and Alexander Gerard and all this stuff. And they have this bond and connection and they they learn stuff about themselves and, and uh, vice versa with other artists that I follow. And so, uh, yeah, the end of this episode is it's not all about you. listening if you love creative pep talk and if it's had an impact on your creative career and you want to give back you can there's a lot of ways you can support the show you can review the show on itunes that super super helps that's why i put it at the top of this so you can go review the show on itunes you can back the podcast financially become a producer of creative pep talk at patreon.com slash creative pep talk or you can get some creative pep talk merch, you know, kind of a win-win situation where you are helping the show and you're also helping yourself with sweet posters and pens and, and jazz at creativepeptalk.com shop. You can get access to the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date with new shows by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thank you. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and Metavari for... Uh, many of the other tunes. Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the podcast and also contributing some tunes that make this this podcast sound so great. It's awesome to have him part of the Creative Pep Talk team. Thanks, Alex Sugg. Thanks to all of you who listen. I do this show every week to be another week's worth of creative fuel so that you can stack up another week's effort on top of this journey so you can do one more leg of the race and get closer and closer to your creative career destiny to that sweet spot where you're doing what you do and people are feeling it and it becomes an amazing relationship and uh, until you are on empty again next week stay pepped up (laughs) 